Hello and welcome, webheads, to the spectacular Spidercast, a bi-weekly Spider-Man comic book recap show. I'm your host, Hunter Van Lear. Now let's get on with the show. So, uh, the weekly releases for the last two weeks have been Amazing Spider-Man 54, King in Black Namor number one, Spider-Man by J.J. Abrams number five, Venom 31, Marvel Action Chillers number three, which unfortunately sold out at my store. Good for the company, bad for me. And it's not available digitally yet, so we will not be covering that this week. But hopefully, by the next episode, it will be out. But the Marvel Action series is uh, the IDW Marvel cross-promotion publishing thing. And the Chiller's story is just a bunch of horror stories that came a little bit too late. Because it started in um, late November instead of October, so it was just a little weird. But it is what it is. I'll be covering that one once it comes back digitally. So, uh, King and Black, Black Cat number one, which is mostly Black Cat 2020, but the first issue is King and Black related. Then it's King and Black Immortal Hulk number one, which is a one shot, and King and Black Symbiote Spider Man number two, which continues where we left off last time. So, let's start it off with Amazing Spider Man 54, still continuing in the Last Remain storyline. This issue, still done by Nick Spencer with art by Bagley, and you guys know me. Not really a Bagley guy, but there are some scenes in this that Bagley draws to perfection, and I can't deny that. So, if you guys forgot what happened last time, I'll give you a little recap. Um, Peter Parker has died, and he's been trapped inside of his own memories until Kindred violently dragged him back to the world of living, which Kindred is Harry Osborn. It was then uh, that the villain removed his mask and was revealed to be Harry. And this is where we kind of leave it off with um, Peter kind of denying everything that's happening. And just like, nah, man, we can fight this. Come on. It opens up with Peter and Harry in a mausoleum of sorts. Uh, the one where they left off a couple issues ago, if you're counting the uh, .LRs. They have a little scuffle where Peter says, you know, Harry, you always lose. You always do this. You go crazy all the time. This is nothing. Why are you being a baby? He kind of, like, lays into him. Like, really, like, you're my friend, buddy. You're a fucking baby. Like, Spider-Man, jeez, calm down. This issue is a lot of punchy-punchy. It's not really a lot of dialogue, so this will probably be quick. Um, after a quick old punchy-punchy, Peter says right here, You should have left me dead. So then Kindred goes, Oh, okay, I got you. You think killing you is the hard part? Nah, dude. And he just kills Peter like eight times in a row. Smashes him with a rock. Slits his throat. Um, drowns him in a basin. Uh, strangles him with the centipedes, bursts his chest like a, a chest burster, Bane style breaks his back, lights him on fire, um, and then he brings him back to life every single time, and he's reliving these memories of all the friends that he's lost throughout time. We see, um, oh, not, not that he's lost, all the friends he's hung out with that are all basically gone now. We see, like, good old memories, Flash, Gwen are there. He sees Mary Jane because she died a bunch of times, but she's back currently. And then uh, Kindred goes on this long spiel about how Peter always interferes and how his interference causes people to die. And that Sin, uh, Sin Eater was supposed to be like a test where it's like, could you let my dad, Norman, who's the worst person you've ever met, die? And he's like, no, you couldn't, though, because you always think you're right and you what, what you do you think is best. And then um, it's revealed that Sin Eater is at the graveyard where Spider-Man's amazing friends are showing up, which is going to be the .LR series, uh, next week. 
and um, that Mary Jane is also there, and it's, you know, kind of implied that uh, he's, that Kindred's gonna kill her, so we shall see if Mary Jane dies, and if Nick Spencer does this, that'll be the biggest twist of this run ever, because... <laughs> We had Mary Jane alive for the last, like, ten years because Dan Slott was like, we can't kill her. Let's make her Iron Spider-Man. Not that Dan Slott's run was bad. It was just like, come on, really? I think he's got a soft spot for Mary Jane. But Nick Spencer uh, does not. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next issue. You know me. I'm going to be reading this regardless of if it's good or bad. And with Bagley's art, that is what it is. But that was issue 54. So... Let's move on to Venom number 31, which takes place directly after King and Black number one. Its title is 32 Seconds. You'll see why in a bit. So, for those of you who haven't been reading Venom, now that Null, the symbiote progeny and deity, have come to Earth, stripped Brock of his symbiote and has unleashed an army of hundreds of thousands of symbiote dragons on the Earth, is unprepared for what comes next. So... We jump to Rex Strickland's house, who is a soldier from Vietnam, who was given the symbiote, uh, it's kind of like a super soldier style. We uh, heard of him way back in the day, in the early Venom run, and he's uh, trying to piece together some Null stuff, and then we see, um, he's just like, he's just talking about Venom, and uh, like the cult that happened, and what's happening with all the Null people. And then it jumps to where we left off at the end of King of Black 1, where Eddie is being dropped from the building, and Null is standing there, and he took Venom. So, this whole episode, this whole issue takes place while, um, oh, this is done by, uh, whoops, Donny Cates and Ivan Coelho is the artist. This whole issue takes place in the 32 seconds it takes Venom from fall from the top of the building to the bottom. It's set in, like, a series of flashbacks and, like, what's Dylan doing and what's Tony doing? Because, you know, this is tied to the big event. So, it's a lot of inner monologues and uh, Eddie Brock, like, come on, this fucking sucks, please don't kill me. So, back in the early days of the Donny Kids Venom run, we found out that um, Eddie Brock is a big old Christian boy. And he starts praying to his god. God, I guess. And he's saying, like, hey, this sucks. I know I haven't talked in a while, but, you know, it looks like I'm going to die. He's like, even if I don't deserve to, uh, you know, get a wish from you, at least give my son, like, you know, one last solace and make sure he doesn't, like, have to inherit my demons and, like, what's going on with me. And then um, it jumps to uh, Eddie Brock falling and... um, Everyone around him getting attacked by the symbiotes, except for, like, Spider-Man and a couple of the X-Men. And we'll soon find out later, Black Cat. And then it, and then it, um, we see Dylan sitting in his little safe house that he was thrown in. And he hacked, quote-unquote, the frequency to get into, um, the channel that they're using on their walkie-talkies. And he's talking to Tony. And he's like, hey, what's going on? What's happening? He's like, can I help? And Tony's like, no, you need to stop, like... Eddie told us not to let you help. You're in danger. He's coming for you. So, um, Dylan has this power where he can connect to the, like, symbiote, like, vines, I guess. It's, it's like, a weird, like, psychic connection he has to the symbiotes, and he's summoning, uh, Null to him. 
So then Dylan sees on TV that Venom was dropped, and he's going to try to control some of the dragons to save his father, but it doesn't end up working, and Venom just falls and hits, like, you know in, like, New York City buildings, those, um, I forget what they're called, like, the, the stairs that lead outside, I'm gonna sound like an idiot, and they lead, like, all the way up the building, uh, Skyflight, oh my god, that sounds so wrong, it's not that, but he keeps falling and hitting all of them, and then eventually, it, right on the kicker of the last page, he's about to hit a car, and it says to be continued, so, I think Dylan's gonna save him, but that's just me. Or Donny Cates is going to pull a madman and just, like, totally kill him for now and then bring him back later. Because Donny Cates is one to just kill somebody and go, we'll see you in a couple issues. So, I wouldn't be surprised. So, that was if it, Venom issue 31. It wasn't really a big one. It was mostly just um, more exposition drop for the King of Black event. This is the, um, so, what, what events usually do in Marvel is you have your main event, right? Like, your one through five or your one through six. And that is, like, Empire and King of Black and War of the Realms. But then all these tie-ins come out, like, King of Black Namor, Symbiote Spider-Man, King of Black Immortal Hulk. But what those are are mostly tie-ins. But the ones that are the most important tie-ins are usually, and don't quote me on this, it doesn't always happen, are usually the ones that take place in the main series the event spins out of. For War of the Realms, if you read the War of the Realms book, you'll get 90% of the story. If you read... The Thor books, along with it, you'll get the other, like, 9%. And then if you read all the side stuff, you get the extra 1%. So this that happened with Empire, where if you read the main title, you got most of the story. But then if you read Avengers and Fantastic Four alongside it, you got all the rest. The other tie-ins, especially since COVID cut down a bunch of the Empire tie-ins, a lot of the tie-ins, it's not that they didn't matter. It's that you didn't need them to read the book. Something like X of Swords, you need every single chapter out of the 22 parts, so that's its own beast. So, uh, with King of Black, if you read Venom, you're going to get the entire story. So you only got to read the five issues of King of Black, and I think the four issues of Venom, plus the Fallout, so six. I mean five, so, you know, take that with a grain of salt. Every time we talk about Venom, where if it seems like more of a companion piece that doesn't drive the story forward too much, where it just adds stuff to the main event, that's exactly, you know what it is so i would always take it with a grain of salt but my rambling aside let's jump to king of black namor number one so this is a continuation of the greg pack and um i forget the artist's name and i apologize uh the agents of atlas storyline it's not written by greg pack though it's written by kurt busick with art by benjamin dewey it's um oh and then uh jonas scherf it's um just is it's this Namor-driven story that ties him to the King of Black and to the mutants and like what that means for Atlantis and some of its dwellers. But it also, like I said before, ties into what Greg Pak has been building with Atlantis attacks and the Agents of Atlas stuff over the last year or so since War of the Realms. So it opens up with Namor uh, jumping down to the bottom of the sea and what seems to be an underwater symbiote is there. And it's plaguing him, telling him that he's going to kill everybody in Atlantis and that no one is safe. Then it jumps to Namor uh, flashback sequence, talking to a bunch of his friends. Like, you just, you're meeting the cast of characters that uh, roams the Atlanteans. You're meeting, like, the love interest. You're meeting the best friend. You're meeting the bodyguard. You're meeting the, you know, the, the frenemy. Like, you're just meeting everybody that um, Namor is coming in contact with that would, um, 
lead him to one day become the king. It's like an it's a basic Aquaman story. So we then, uh, after a huge exposition dumps from the side characters, we see the seer who's like this noble woman who like, is, you know, you guys know what a seer is, right? For a king, like their um, royal, like oh my god, magic person essentially, where it's like they show them visions of the future. They help them with advice, and they guide them like a sage. Uh, they talk about the gods of the depths, which is what I'm going to, since it's the King of Black tie-in, just say it's probably a symbiote, just because that just makes sense to me. And then um, we see Namor's giant pet fish with the big bubbly eyes. I forgot what they're called. I think they're called, like, balloon fish. Don't quote me on that one. I used to work at a pet store, and I don't remember what they're called. That's just me. But it's one of those big giant fish with the big giant eyes. It's adorable. And uh, they're just fighting the bad. They're fighting the people who are trying to uprise, who work secretly with the king, with the god of the depths. And then Namor and his posse have to stop them. And then the kicker is now in the present day, Namor is trying to hunt him down and find him. I assume because it's gonna f somehow help him fight the King in Black, but that's just me. So we shall see in issue two of King of Black Namor. This one was, again, a huge exposition dump, but it gave us a lot of backstory on what the characters are going to be in the Namor series as a whole. I wish it was written by Greg Pak. Not that Kurt Busiek was a bad writer. I think this issue was good. It's just um, Greg Pak has been building this, like, atlantis Namor thing for the last, like, two years, and then they just go, nah, Kurt Busiek will write it. And I understand. Like, you know, Greg Pak probably didn't want to write it. If he pushed it hard enough, he probably would have been able to. But um, a lot of the uh, King and Black Namor series, besides him picking up his sidecast, I feel like Kurt Busiek is going to bring in a couple members of the um, Agents of Atlas. Because Agents of Atlas number 5, as we read before, ends with um, all them rushing to go help in King and Black with Namor. After, you know, the Pan-Asian um, attack, like with dragons and stuff. So we're going to see what happens there. At least, you know. Hopefully, we'll see what happens there. Uh, next up, we're going to check out Symbiote Spider-Man King in Black. This is fairly straightforward. A lot of issue twos are going to just be like more plot increasing, but also more uh, subplot increase, which is always a benefit, but it doesn't always drive the story forward if that makes any sense at all. I know what I just said is a little bit contradictory, but trust me, when you read it, you'll know what I mean. So, for those of you who are joining me for the first time, um, Symbiote Spider-Man number two, written by Peter David, drawn by Greg Land. I'll give you a little recap of what happened in the last issue with the little Marvel recaps, and then we will get back to it. So, after Alistair Smythe was consumed by a mysterious black specter calling himself Mr. E, the resulting abomination transformed all other humans in Ravencroft Institute, including Peter Parker's co-worker Ned Leeds, into shadow creatures. Meanwhile, Uatu the Watcher was captured and probed by a time-traveling Avengers villain, Kang the Conqueror. However, Kang's machines couldn't handle the overload of Uatu's power, which caused Kang's ship to explode and left them adrift in space until Rocket Raccoon scooped him up. Back on Earth, Spider-Man was facing down with Mr. E when the Black Knight arrived to aid Spider-Man in his fight against the Shadow Creatures. So this is a nice little Black Knight story that ties him into King of Black, and also it was supposed to come out around the same time as the Eternals movie was supposed to come out. So this was supposed to be like, hey kids, if you liked Kit Harrington as Black Knight in the movie, check out this book with him in it. 
Marvel does a lot of that cross-promotion. They make it all make sense, but they do a lot of cross-promotion. So, it opens up with <clears throat> Spider-Man and Black Knight standing outside of Ravencroft Institute with the um, eclipse about to happen. And they're just talking to each other like, hey man, I don't even remember you being an Avenger. And he's like, nah, it's all cool. We're, we're good. You ready to uh, fight more of this? And he's like, yeah. They see um, the symbiote creatures that inhabited the humans are all running away from them. So it seems like they scared them off. They have a quick chat. And then Merlin shows up. And Merlin is indeed a Marvel character. He is just... He was around during the first Black Knight era. It's basically just Merlin from, like, old Arthurian lore. But the Marvel version. That's basically it. It's, it's nothing special. It's kind of like when they introduce, like, random characters. Like, Hercules. It's like, it's Hercules from, you know, God and Deity lore. But it's the Marvel version, you know? It is what it is. So, Merlin shows up and he pulls um Black Knight aside... Because they're going to go do some uh, catch up on what the sword's doing and how it's connected to Mr. E and the symbiotes. While Spider-Man is going to go hunt down and help uh, Ned Leeds and his buddies over at um, the Daily Planet. The Daily Bugle. I almost called it Daily Planet. Daily Bugle. And also that's where Mr. E is hiding out with Alistair Smythe on him. So we get a little like sitcom drop to... Um... Oh god, what's his name? Robbie's... Robbie's father in Daily Bugle. I think it's also Robbie. I think Robbie's a junior. And uh, JJ talking with um, one of the secretaries about Spider-Man and Peter Parker and what's going on with the Eclipse and why people are acting a little crazy outside with all the symbiotes and why Ned Leeds hasn't contacted them. Then jumps to Mr. E crashing through the window and he says that he wanted to interview, he wanted to interview him. But, uh, you know... They sent Ned Leeds instead, so then they send the Ned Leeds symbiote in as well, and then Ned Leeds is attacking everybody in the town, not in the town, everybody in um, Daily Bugle, and then Spider-Man crashes through the window. They're, they're, their budget has to go to a lot of windows, because this is like the third or fourth window they've crashed through in this issue. Um, Peter, Ma Peter Man, Spider-Man uh, crashes through and attacks the Ned Leeds uh, symbiote while the other one is still hiding, and he's going to fight it to try to take it off of him. Meanwhile, at the Avengers Mansion, Merlin and Black Knight are having a little kerfuffle, and they're talking about who Null is and who the original Ebony Blade belonged to and why it corrupts people. It's because only Null can use it. This is just an interesting way to tie in Donny Cates' Null to Black Knight. I think it's kind of cool because they're basically saying um, Null is the god of all darkness, not just symbiotes. And the ebony blade has always come from a dark place, and it's this pure black steel blade. So, and it also corrupts the mind of the people who are, like, weak-willed. If you read the Frank Terry version of uh, Black Knight, which came out, I think, in 2015, they have this really cool um, way, way they talk about, like, how the insanity drives you. And it's pretty cool. It's kind of like um, Gollum with the, uh, the ring, where if... Dane Whitman, who's Black Knight, isn't holding the sword. He goes like stir crazy, like like he's missing his like his fix. You know, he needs to get the sword back. It's his. He belongs. Like it's it's his. He needs it. It's kind of cool, and they do that a lot in other stories. But the Frank Terry one is just the most recent one that I can remember. So uh, Merlin's talking about Null, and he's like, "Hey, he's like, I'm more powerful than you, Dane. I can totally wield the sword and fight Null. You just got to give it to me. Come on, Black Knight, give me the sword." And uh, Black Knight goes, all right, hold on. What's my name? 
And Merlin's like, what are you talking about? Black Knight goes, you keep calling me Black Knight, but you're not calling me by my real name. What's my name? I've been saying Dane personally, just so I can you know, inform you guys. Merlin has not said Dane once. So Merlin then reveals that he is another symbiote and that he is another one of the Mr. E's. And he stabs Black Knight in the chesticles with the sword, leaving Black Knight in um, the Avengers Mansion to die. Meanwhile, it jumps to um, Ned Leeds and Spider-Man fighting, and it shows us uh, the printing press that the uh, papers get printed on, and that Ned Leeds is about to get smashed in between it because Mr. E drops his body there. So Spider-Man obviously saves him and uh, tries to talk uh, tries to talk to Ned, saying, like, hey, you know, are you okay? Do you remember anything? And Ned just goes, yeah, no, I'm good. He's like, Avengers Mansion, though. You should get over there. Um, when I was in the symbiote, I saw Black Knight get attacked. You should definitely go check out Black Knight, the Avengers Mansion. Spider-Man goes, I shit, gotta go. It was a trap. He goes to see Black Knight, but Kang and Rocket Raccoon are there. And uh, Rocket Raccoon and Kang are here to recruit Black Knight to go help because Kang and probably informed Rocket. We, we don't get to see what how, why, how they got there and why they got there. We'll probably see that at the beginning of issue three. But... Um, Kang probably informed Rocket about the Null stuff and blah, blah, blah. So we're going to see the aftermath of that here. Um, Dane wakes up briefly to see Rocket Raccoon talking and he goes, all right, this isn't real. I'm hallucinating because I'm dying and then passes out. So that is where we're going to leave off with issue two. Issue three on the cover has Photon on it, who is going to appear in, um, Captain Marvel 2 and WandaVision as well. She's, um, (sighs) Monica Rambeau, but I believe this is her mother. So, take that with a grain of salt. I don't really, I'm not really a fan of um, the Captain Marvel book, so I couldn't tell you who's who uh, 100%, but I believe that's Photon, because that's um, what her little star looks like, at least back in the old days when um, the Secret War stuff happened when she was first introduced. So, that was issue two of the Symbiote Spider-Man King of Black storyline. Overall, it's pretty good. Um, another filler issue, if that makes any sense. I always count... Issues 2 and 3 is filler issues when it's a 5-issue miniseries. Because every issue 1, which opens it up, it's usually bombastic. They have to draw the reader in. They have to leave it off with a cliffhanger that the reader needs to come back. Issue 2 is, like, action-packed but a lore dump. Issue 3 is a lore dump with no little to no action. And issues 4 and 5 drive the story home and make you want to finish the rest of the issues. Which is issue 5, usually. It doesn't happen with all books, but a lot of Marvel books do that, where they're like... Hey, come on in for issue one. Get another hit later. Then you get issue one. You're like, oh, this is pretty good. Maybe I'll try issue two. Read up on issue two. You're like, ah, that was okay. It's a little dwindling, you know, too much exposition, not enough stuff going on. Get issue. You're like, I'll get issue three. You get issue three. You're like, ooh, okay. More exposition, less action. But I like the exposition dump this time. It makes more sense. It makes the whole story relevant. And then you read issue four and five, and it's like just the finishing touch. Because once you buy the first three issues of a five-issue miniseries, Honestly, there's no going back because it's not worth it. Unless you're never going to read the story again and you're just going to save your $9. Like, when I used to do that uh, back in the day, when I used to pick up, like, everything, I would pick up, like, issue one because I'm like, oh, I'll try a new number one. You know, what's the problem with that? I like it. I'll go, okay, cool. I'll get number two. And if you like number two and you buy number three, you're just going to get the whole series because it's not worth it for you then to buy the trade afterwards, which costs um, less. But if you already have the other two, it's going to cost you the same amount. So most people will just, after issue three, they'll just continue with issue five. But if you stop at issue two, you're one of the strong ones. So, let's move on to 
Uh, Kingdom Black Immortal Hulk. This is kind of your run-of-the-mill tie-in. Nothing really crazy here. This one was written by Al Ewing, who's doing the main storyline in the um, Immortal Hulk series, with art by Aaron Cooter, who is mwah, fantastic. I like Aaron Cooter's art ever since, um, I mean, ever since a while, but his most prominent run for me personally was uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy run that happened in like 27, 2018. So this issue is called Black Christmas. For some of you who don't know Immortal Hulk, I'll give you a little recap on who what Immortal, what Immortal Hulk is and like what happens because we're not really going to be covering a lot of Hulk in the Spider-Man podcast, but since this one ties into it, I'll let you guys know. So, um, Immortal Hulk is... Uh, so, back during Civil War II, Hawkeye killed Bruce Banner because he knew um, with what's going on in Civil War II with the premonition... Uh, Inhuman could see like what would happen in the future. It's basically Minority Report. Think of Civil War Two. It's Minority Report. Um, so Bruce Banner sees his potential future of him killing everybody, kind of like Old Man Logan style, um, and tells Hawkeye to kill him. He's like, "Do it when I'm not looking, because then Hulk won't know. I need you to kill me. Shoot me in the face." So Hawkeye does shoot him in the face, and then Civil War Two kind of kicks off, and. I think it's Civil War 2 that he gets killed in. It's either that or it's right before that. But it's the same circumstances. Uh, Hulk sees a future of him killing everybody and he's like, ain't gonna happen, Chief. So then, um, he was dead for like a good year, a good like year and a half or two years. Obviously, Bruce Banner stories are still being told um, like out of canon, like out of current timeline. Just because people like Bruce Banner. But Hulk was dead for the most part. And that's where we got... Amadeus Cho who popped up. That's where we got She-Hulk who got, became more prominent. So we had a bunch of those stories. And then it finally culminated with the uh, Hulk being revived. Back in like issue one of Immortal Hulk. And uh, he was not happy with Hawkeye. So here we are now with Hulk who is immortal as in he cannot die. He regenerates every time he is quote-unquote killed, and a lot of the Al Ewing storyline in the Immortal Hulk series is all body horror and super gross, super fun, so I would definitely recommend you checking that main series out, but if you don't got the time, here's a little recap, so Hulk is in bad shape, Devil Hulk, the lovingly violent persona that has sought to protect both Hulk and Bruce Banner for decades is dead and Bruce is gone. Dragged out of his own mindscape by the leader who cracked the code of the Hulk's complex personalities. Now, that's all that's left is a childlike, savage Hulk drained uh, of so much gamma that he can barely walk. He's just basically like flesh and bones. And Joe Fixit, the former Grey Hulk, who now manifests in Bruce Banner's body, Savage, um, uh, in Bruce Banner's body, period, Savage, Joe... Any way you cut it, the Hulk's wanted man, and he's in no shape to face the demonic army of a man of a mad god, which is null. So, in the current storyline of Hulk, if that wasn't easy, easy enough recap for you, um, Bruce Banner has been fighting this Devil Hulk thing, and the Devil Hulk is basically like the worst personality of the Hulk and Bruce Banner combined from like childhood trauma from his abusive father, um, manifested into like the Hulk's demons, and then Bruce Banner's, like, smarts. So it's kind of like this evil, maniacal, hulky douche guy. That's basically like, it's like anxiety and depression. Like, you're worthless, nothing matters, fuck you, I'm gonna kill you. That kind of thing. So, the uh, the leader, who's one of Hulk's big baddies, has been trying to, like, years, not just in this arc, years, try to figure out how to get 
like inside Hulk's head and split the personalities because he wants to be the Gamma Man. So he finally does it, splits up um, Bruce and Hulk. Hulk is now possessed by the Devil Hulk and Hulk, so it's like Hulk as his own person fighting against the Devil Hulk personality, while Bruce Banner is fighting with the Joe Fixit personality, who's the mobster version of Hulk. Uh, so that so it, it's still like Hulk has personality problems, but it's split up into two, so you get a side story, kind of like how Venom uh, and Sp- and Eddie Brock aren't the same person. You know, the symbiote has his own personality, and so does Eddie. And then way back in the day, the only reason why this is tied into this is because way back in the day, Venom uh, Hulk had a symbiote, so which just makes sense that anyone who got touched by the symbiotes basically, and anyone in the Spider-Man repertoire, like Black Cat and stuff, will get a tie-in. It opens up with some Christmassy carols. And some dragons flying through the sky. And um, we see Skinny Bones Hulk uh, trying to ask for help uh, by this dude who's dropping presents. Hulk then sees a present on the ground. And by golly, does he get the scariest impression, oh my god, of the scariest expression on his face when he sees a present. He gets so happy. He looks like a, a titan from Attack on Titan. Like, it's just so, like... Ha! Present! Very creepy. If anybody wants to know what it is, definitely hit me up on social media, and I will send you guys a picture of it, because craziness. Um, we then see um, that a Venom symbiote, like a, a, a nullified symbiote thing with a weird little uh, circle on his face, has murdered the guy who had the presence, and Hulk's not having it, so him and Hulk fight. This is a fairly silent issue for the most part. I think it's only like two bits of dialogue, but um, we see Hulk, the Skinny Bones Hulk, fight the symbiote, and it's trying to take over his body as he's trying to electrocute it and kill it. And then uh, Hulk opens up the present to see that it's a hairdryer. Hulk then gets uh, seen by the cops, and they shoot at him, and he hops away. The symbiote takes over the police officers. We get another scary Hulk expression. I'll send it to you guys again if you want. And because he sees um a toy... And then he, uh, that he had when he was a kid. Cause he, so even though Hulk is in quotes, a separate person, he still has some of the memories from Bruce Banner because they are the same person. Unlike, okay. So I know I said that Venom and, uh, Eddie and Bruce and Hulk, I compared them last time, but it's not a hundred percent similar. And I'm glad this kind of brought it up. So Eddie is his own person, period. And Venom is a Clintar, which is a living symbiote from an alien planet. It's its own being. Hulk and Bruce are the same person with the same memories, but have two different personalities, kind of like good guy, uh, good brain, bad brain kind of situation, like anger issues and like personality disorder stuff. So they're the same person, essentially, with different personalities where they share the same body and the same memories, but they have different personalities. So Hulk sees a toy that he had when he was a kid through a window, and he sees um, his abusive drunk father kick it over and smack him and his mom. Hulk then gets angry, smashes the window, and then we see some gross, yummy body horror. And Jesus Christ, is this absolutely disgusting. I'm going to send this to my boy Alex so he can see what I'm talking about, because he'll probably mention that he wants to see the faces. And he turns back into Bruce Banner, or the Hulk version of Bruce Banner, because of what happened in um, the other issues. And then the two cops from before are seen being taken over by the Venom symbiotes. And then Bruce Banner has to go fight them now with minor Hulk powers. So he runs into the mall and hides. 
well, the two-headed cop symbiote tries to find him. And then it ends with um, Hulk seemingly uh, stop, well, Bruce, seemingly stopping the, um, the symbiotes by using a lot of sound and fire. And then he lets Hulk play with toys. And that's it. So it's a quick issue. It's just another quick and fun tie-in that gives you kind of perspective on what's going on and the people who are tied to the Venom symbiote. If you, yeah, I want my honest opinion. You don't have to read this if you don't want to read it. It's it's one of those like, if Hulk shows up in the main storyline, it'll it'll be like one of the editors will go, if you want to see what happened to Hulk and why he's here, read this issue. But it's wholly unnecessary. It's just Hulk's time with a symbiote. That's it. They even did this back during the Absolute Carnage event because, again, like I said, anyone who got a um, symbiote was tied to that that event and this event because Null is the guy of the symbiotes and he wants to kill everybody who's had one on Earth. And then Carnage wanted to steal all the spines of the people who had a symbiote. So you get where I'm coming from. A lot of, like, mumbo-jumbo add-in, plus Hulk's super popular and it always sells, so people want to boost up events. They put in a book that has the Immortal Hulk tie-in into it because Hulk is one of their highest-selling books right now, besides Venom. So, that was that issue. It, it, it's nice. The art is fantastic and clean. Like I said, there's barely any dialogue, if you even count the dialogue that is there. But it, it's a lot of, like, look-through, uh, like, visual storytelling. And what I told you is, you know, fairly good. I, I, don't, go, I don't go full, like, 100% on everything, because I don't want to give you, like, a reason to not buy the book. But, you know, I'll go into it. So, that was Immortal Hulk, King in Black. Let's jump into Black Cat, which is our last King in Black issue for this week. And then the last issue we'll talk about will be Spider-Man number 5 by J.J. Abrams. The only reason why I'm leaving it last, and usually I would cover the miscellaneous books before I'd cover the King in Black books, is because the Spider-Man book, there's a lot to talk about. And it's a lot to unpack, so I'll get to that when I get to that. So let's jump to the Black Cat book. This takes place immediately after... Um, her last run of books where she still has uh, Bruno and Dr. Corpse and they're robbing a shield cache, but they're doing something called toe cutting, which is an Australian thief term for uh, stealing someone else's job. So we see these black ops thieves who are stealing from a shield cache and they drive into this underground tunnel. And then we see black cat and her posse uh, scoop in to steal what they stole to toe cut their job. It then jumps to um, a symbiote dragon crashing through the ground because Storm electrocuted it with her um, lightning. This takes place during the events of King of Black, like the, the actual issue King of Black. It takes place during the events, at least this one. You'll see why in a sec. So um, a huge dragon crashes a hole in the ground and Bruno and Corpse are like, I think we should leave. This does not sound like something we should do. And Black Hat's like, nah, I'm going to go see what's going on. Because, like, if the Avengers um, need help, like, she's like, you know, th th that's a problem. There's a line in here um, where it says, uh, there was an evacuation of New York. But there's always an evacuation for New York. It's like fire drills. You don't expect it to actually matter. There was just an alien invasion and the Avengers stopped it. The alien invasion was um, Empire. That's how it works. The Avengers always stop them. You get used to it. You stop asking questions. But what if they didn't stop it? 
what then? What do you do if the Avengers didn't stop the invasion? And this is where we're at right now with King of Black. As we saw in the last issue uh, of King of Black number one, that, spoiler alert, they do not stop Null from taking over the Earth, at least a little bit for now. She then runs upon Captain America and Storm. Uh, right before Storm and Doctor Strange lose their little fight, she also sees Doctor Strange. And uh, she's teaming up with Captain America and trying to fight some of the symbiote guys. And um, after Doctor Strange gets engulfed by the symbiotes and Storm and Magneto get defeated, Captain America tells Black Cat to leave, to go find help wherever you can. She's like, uh, Cap's like, you're smart, you're resourceful, you're clever, you always escape, you got this, go figure it out. Cap believes in a lot of people, and it's cool that he believes in Felicia Hardy. Um, oh my god, I'm so bad at my job. Uh, this is written by Jed McKay with art by C.F. Villa. Sorry, I'll get used to it eventually. I, I, I only didn't say it because I covered this on my comic book podcast, uh, Android's Amazing Podcast, and we always talk about the creative teams there. But um, it then jumps to Black Cat escaping, talking to her buddies uh, from the last series, which I said before was Bruno, and I hope his name is Bruno, I said it before, uh, Bruno, Dr. Corpse, and Dr. Steve, who is... um. Uh, just a big old scientist for Alchemax. And their plan is to steal from Null, and what they're going to steal is Doctor Strange. So that's where they leave us off, with Black Cat's plan to steal Doctor Strange himself from Null, because magic mumbo-jumbo. So, yeah, that's about it. Not really a huge issue, it's mostly just a tie-in, but it's also the lead into her new Ongoing, which is still written by the same team that I said before, Jen McKay and uh, C.F. Villa. This is kind of like... Um, Spider-Geddon storyline with Spider-Gwen. So when Spider-Gwen was relaunched during the events of Spider-Geddon, the first three or four issues were Spider-Geddon tie-ins. This is going to be the first three issues of the Black Cat series will be Spider uh, will be King of Black tie-ins. And then after that, issue four onward will be her own ongoing series again. Back to her doing thiefy stuff. So, if you just want to read Black Cat, I'd say pick this up. And you don't need to read King of Black if you just want to read Black Cat, I know a lot of people who are reading this aren't reading King of Black just because, you know, this gives you a fair recap of what's going on, at least in issue one. And then after issue three, it'll be resolved and they'll give you a decent recap. So if you're just a Black Cat fan, this is a good book to pick up. But that leads us into our last book because Marvel Action Chillers is unavailable digitally and I was unable to pick it up when it was available at my store because it sold out. Our Polish customers come first. Sorry, Chief. So... The Spider-Man book by J.J. Abrams, his son Henry Abrams, and Sarah Pacelli, who is one of the creators of Miles Morales. It's just called Spider-Man. <sighs> Here we go. So, here's a little recap for all of you who don't know what this book is. And also, for most people, because this book got delayed, not just because of COVID, but because J.J. Abrams is a busy man. And uh, he didn't expect writing a book would be this crazy. So, Peter Parker was once the spectacular Spider-Man, but now... Peter's son, Ben Parker, inherited his spider powers, and with the help of his friend, Faye Ito, a.k.a. The Marker, basically like a graffiti uh, villain, uh, has put on the Spider-Man costume and taken up the mantle. Years earlier, this is about issue one, uh, the villainous cyborg named Cadaverous murdered Ben's mother, Mary Jane, and took a sample of Peter's blood to save his partner, Minka. Now, even after draining Peter's uh, of his irradiated blood, Cadaverous still needs more. Using Peter's bait, the now transformed spider-like Minka has captured Ben. So, uh, this issue takes place in an alternate future. Not this issue. This entire series takes place in an alternate future 
where Peter Parker failed to stop Cadaverous, lost a hand, is raising a kid by himself. He has to wor- he works so much to support his family that uh, Aunt May, who's still alive, uh, watches over Ben for the most part. And Ben is like this rebellious, redheaded uh, spider boy who is not having it. Uh, in issue one, it says before that uh, Mary Jane has been killed. Well, in quotes. We'll see you later. And um, Spider uh, Ben found the uh, suit that Peter used to have, and you know, is there? Peter originally didn't know his dad was Spider Man because it wasn't revealed to the public that Peter Parker was Spider Man. So then, when Spider Man gave up, um, when Pete gave up his identity because he didn't want his son to die after what happened with Mary Jane. People just went, up. Oh, Spider-Man disappeared, I guess. And then no one talked about it. And then Spider-Man comes back as, you know, little Ben. So, it opens up with um, a little boy crying. It looks like, it looks to be Ben. As he's um, seeing uh, Peter go away for the first time to go to work. Like, from what I've gathered, because this series came out so sporadically over the course of 2019 that it's so hard to pinpoint, like, what's going on. I think it came out in March of 2019, and then the first two issues came out on time, issue three was delayed two months, issue four was delayed, like, five months, and this was the issue that finally came out after all this COVID stuff, so, sorry if I don't remember everything that happened in this book, but we'll get to it, so it's Ben's first time seeing that um, Peter has to leave for his job, he's talking to uh, Aunt May, and um, we also see that he's being held as bait. We then see Cadaverous, since uh, Ben got captured, is trying to drain a lot, and I mean a lot, of blood from Ben. Ben wakes up, and this robot um, is in the background, and this robot helps him escape the clutches of Cadaverous. And uh, they leave the building that Cadaverous is in. It turns out it's a big old boat off the, um, off the New York Pier. And... Iron Man shows up, who's actually Ironheart, I believe, in this timeline, and saves Mary, uh, saves Ben and this weird robot, which, spoiler alert, it's Mary Jane. And then we see Marker, Spider-Man, and Iron Man or Ironheart, again, I forget which is which, fighting against uh, Minka, the giant blood beast. Uh, we see them reunite, and then they fight off with Minka as um, Mary Jane robot and Peter finally meet up after Peter is not being held as bait anymore. Cadaverous shows up. Minka and Cadaverous fight a little bit. Minka kills Cadaverous. And then Spider-Man, Mary Jane, Iron Man, and Marker all kill Minka. And they have a little nice, uh, you know, touching reunion. Peter, uh, Mary Jane is like super young in this. It, the day she died is the day she looks right now. So I guess they killed her. And then like, revitalized her it's really hard and they don't really explain it that much but she's the same age she was back when she died the first time which i think was like late 20s peter at this point is probably like 40 so we see peter and mary jane reunited on a um on the bridge peter is dying he's um like they took so much of his blood they broke a lot of his ribs and his organs like he is dying and all of a sudden they all all three of them get the spider sense and Peter pushes them off the bridge, and the bridge explodes, with um, Mary Jane and Ben crashing into the water, and so I don't think Ben knows how to swim, Mary Jane pushing him up and saving him, it then cuts to a funeral for Pete, 
as Mary Jane, like I guess said, still young, and Ben are cleaning up the house. Aunt May then delivers them two spider suits. One is a new updated version of the spider suit that Ben was wearing, and one is a suit for Mary Jane. They look like um, Spider Girl and Kane's suits from the current timeline. Spider Girl has like the spiders that cross around the um, under boob, and the cane has the black that dips around towards the chest. So, it ends with the cliffhanger of J.J. Abrams going, maybe we'll do a sequel, but God, I hope they don't. This book was so bogged down with delays, the way they wrote Peter was atrocious, and I didn't like how they, um, how J.J. Abrams brought his son into the book. Even though his son was an untested writer, they were like, nah, we trust him, let's give him his son a book. I hope there's not a sequel to this, even though this does have a good payoff. I will admit, not this part, I will admit the payoff was good for this book. I feel like this is a good trade book only because of the delays and then COVID. If you read this one through five, it's probably a really good Spider-Man story. But as of right now, this Spider-Man story is poo-poo and will go down in infamy in my book until I read the trade, which will probably come out in like a couple months. And I'll, I'll update you guys if I do end up liking it. So guys, ugh, that has been the show. I covered all those books. I will cover um, Marvel Action Chillers once um, it does come out digitally or if my store gets a restock. But as of right now, I will not be covering it until that is you know, here. So thank you all for listening. This has been the Spectacular Spider-Cast. Let me know what you guys think. Uh, the show is ever-changing, and I'm always up for pointers. You can follow me on Instagram at Scruffy Moose Man. Uh, stay tuned every other Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for the next episode of the Spectacular Spider Cast.